Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. If you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's another Monday. I hope you're doing well and you're staying sane. And can you believe it? Oh, my God. It's already December. It's the end of the year. It's the last episode for us this year. So we're going to go head into 2021. And it has just been a hell of a year. And I think nobody obviously anticipated last year what 2020 is going to bring us. And we headed into the year, had all these goals for 2020. And then March came around and the whole world stood still. And I early on realized this is not going to be over in a couple of weeks. So I had this suspicion that this is going to drag out at least uh, until the beginning of 2021. So with that said, I kind of mentally prepared for this year. And now it's just still looking back. It hasn't been fast, but we're already there. Like we made it this far, so we're going to make it till the end. And I'm very hopeful and very positive for 2021, and I hope you guys are too. And we're also going to talk a little bit with my today's guest about what this year has meant. And I don't want to say much about this because we're just going to do that right at the beginning of the interview, which I'm going to share with you in just a minute. But I want to take this time to quickly reflect and share a little bit about my personal roller coaster of this year. So going into 2020, I had this idea of creating 
a podcast empowering women like me. I wanted to share my insight, my tips and tricks and tool that I've learned over the last couple of years of self-development and really of self-empowerment. And that was kind of the idea going into the year. And after March, uh, the first initial shock, I decided, okay, now I have all these hours in the evening free to myself because all social events have been canceled, stuck at home. What am I going to do? So I thought, okay, this is the time. This is going to be my time to start this endeavor because if I don't do it now, there's not going to be a better time in a sense that I will have all these evenings to myself once this pandemic is over. And so I asked my friend Nicole if she was going to be the guinea pig to record this interview. And that has been the start of a new beginning. And if you've listened to that episode, Nicole shared how she was identified as a gifted adult at the age of 37. And by talking to her, I realized I could relate so much. And that then sent me on my own self-discovery in May to go and get myself evaluated over Zoom by a psychologist. So that has been very interesting. And at the beginning, I, I really didn't know anybody else in this space or in this field. So I started Googling and I thought, okay, there must be others out there like me and Nicole who are just clueless of what's going on inside of us. And I thought, okay, if I'm going on this journey, I might as well use this and this opportunity to create a podcast. And if I'm going to ring up experts or people that work in this field and get information for myself, I might as well record it and create a podcast and share this with the world. So that was my initial thinking. And when I started this, I really didn't know anybody. So I googled a little bit and I wrote an email to Dr. Marilise Schleppi, who I found through an abstract that she had submitted to a conference where she said, you know, don't call it what it is, because this G word, the gifted word has all these negative tension to it. So she was my first guest that I interviewed without even having a podcast. I'm so grateful and thankful for her to agree to come on the show and share her insight. And then I also just sent an email to Jennifer Harvey Salah from Intergifted. And she also very generously agreed to come onto this show and share her knowledge and shared it with her network. And so that's how I then got approached by Paula Prober, who's, you know, like amazing and such a personality in that space of giftedness. And obviously, I have stumbled across her books by the time she had sent me an email and said, hey, you know, have you come across my work? And I was like, yes, I have, but I have like two episodes out and I'm shy and I have imposter syndrome. So I would have like reached out to you probably in a year. And she was like, no, 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 I would love to come into your show. I'm supporting whatever you're doing. And 
That was so amazing. And so Paula Provo came on to the show. And thank you, Paula. And that actually opened the door for today's guest because he learned from Paula Proper's Instagram that I'm uh, now creating a podcast. And then also Aurora Remember Holtzman, who has her own podcast on giftedness, which is called Embracing Intensity. She came onto the show and she just, you know, welcomed me with open arms into this space and is just so generous and sharing information, sharing everything she knows and open up her community to me. And I just felt so loved and embraced. And also Pascal Coudonso, she reached out to me because she learned about my podcast from Jennifer. So it's really been word of mouth. And I would not have been, you know, sitting here with this is the 12th episode only. And I have these huge names on my show. And I'm just so grateful. And I've never imagined at the beginning in May, that at the end of this year, I would have made so many new friends and so many awesome connections and that my learning in this field is so steep and I still I still don't really understand what is intelligent, what is gifted. It's still very blurry, but this is why I'm here and we're going to keep going. We're going to ask questions. We're going to have conversation with other people in this field. And if you feel you want to contribute to this, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to have guests on the show. I'm happy for you to reach out. This is how it's been going so far. But I also want to mention the other guests that I had, Craig Gustafson on the show, who is on the autism spectrum. He has Asperger's and he shared his story. And I have a feeling there's also some giftedness in there. And so he was one of the first persons to introduce this twice exceptionality to me, these having giftedness plus something else going on. And that was also very generous of him to come and share his perspective. And then Danny Levin, who's very exceptional in his way and shared his story and is actually now also going back into embracing his own giftedness and trying to get more connection into this field because he also shared his feeling of loneliness of what comes with if you're gifted and just feel like you don't fit in in any way. So this is also something where I really realized this past couple of months that talking to people working in this space and being affected by giftedness, if you can say it in that way, it's just the conversations are so rich, they're so deep, they're so powerful and exciting for me. They also stimulate me. So I'm, I'm really happy and excited and looking forward what 2021 is going to bring for this show. And obviously, I also want to say thank you to my friends, Nicole, Saskia and Laurence, who agreed to come on this show and share their story, their very personal story of giftedness and how far they've been on their own discovery path. 
and how they're dealing with this. And I just wanted to share those three stories with you just to show you how far away from the stereotypes of people that we think of when we think of gifted adults where you might think of Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory and then you have these three amazing women who are completely the opposite of of that stereotype. So I hope this also gives you a way in of seeing maybe your own giftedness and can relate more than with a fictional character like Sheldon Cooper. So, but I've talked already a lot and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So today's guest is Mark Smolowitz. He is an award-winning independent filmmaker and activist, and he's just amazing. I must say I was so starstruck talking to him, and it's not because he's famous or just the personality. It's more I'm starstruck by people who just do so much good in the world and who really make an impact and who are just so full of ideas and how should I say this I do love to talk but sometimes I struggle to form sentences or words out of what's going on inside of my brain so I have these feelings and thoughts but there's not really forming any clear sentences and then when I listen to Mark's webinars around the new movie that he's making He's making this movie called The G Word, Who Gets to be Gifted in America and Why? And it's the first time that I really thought about this from his angle where he comes from this inclusion, diversity, and equity around giftedness and who gets to be identified and who gets support. And that was like such an eye-opening moment for me. I was like, oh, duh. <laughs> Obviously, this is why I'm so passionate about this, because I also feel like, I, I don't know, if I was a boy, maybe they would have tested me for something. I don't know. Or is it because I'm a girl, I just stood out and they said, just be quiet, don't talk as much. I don't know. I don't know if it was about my gender, but I'm just saying I can relate and I also can relate to a sense of not just gender, but race and poverty and all these bigger issues that comes with diversity, inclusion and equity. And so this bridge is really where I think like, wow, yes, this movie makes so much sense. And he's going to talk about this. Uh, I'm not going to talk any longer here. I've been taking a lot of time from you. So thank you for listening to me blab over here. I just want to introduce you to Mark, such an amazing person. I'm so happy he came onto this show. So let's hear from Mark himself. Welcome, Mark. I'm so happy to have you today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Nadia. It's my pleasure. So before we start and getting into the topic of what you do and who you are, I watched a few of your webinars and they were really, really great. And you started with the hashtag, the show must be paused. Do you want to say a few words right before we even start talking together? Sure. So together we can do hashtag the show must be paused before we start this program, right? So we can take that same moment that I've been taking 
in my work this year. So every webinar that I do in 2020, every keynote presentation, every panel conversation, every podcast, if I'm the one producing it, I take a moment and I, you know, if it's visual, I put up a screen with this hashtag that says, hashtag the show must be paused. And then I read a statement, which is essentially about really the turbulent and intense year that we have all been living through, right? And the focus is really on the United States in the first instance, right? Because we have been going through this incredibly challenging pandemic, you know, for the kind of country we are, the amount of disease, the amount of death is really quite traumatic, you know, nationally. And that's huge. Our lives have been completely altered. And obviously, we're a big country. And so every state has its own version of what challenging looks like, but it's there's no question. This is a hands down challenging and turbulent year on on all aspects of our lives in civil society. And then alongside of that, we had the civil unrest and the racial unrest, which really exploded at the time of the George Floyd murder. And so these two things, you know, the pandemic and the protests were really kind of these turbulent bookends of our experience in the United States. And I think in every way we had to just, we couldn't sort of be business as usual. So really that sort of tone and tenor of the pause is just to say, hey, this has been a very difficult year. It's not a year for business as usual. It's not a year for just racing through everything. And I think the pandemic and the protests are really kind of embedded in every conversation that we're having this year. And frankly, conversations around race and injustice, in my view, are embedded in every conversation of every year, <laughs> pandemic or no pandemic. So that was really sort of the spirit of the pause is to just kind of own that this is really a big year for this country. And, you know, knowing full well that you live in Europe and that people around the world are always paying attention to what's happening in the United States. And, you know, that there is a certain urgency around all these issues everywhere because the pandemic has been a planetary experience everywhere. No nation has gone untouched. Some nations are doing better than others, but, you know, we've all had a very, very difficult and turbulent year. That's a shared experience worldwide. And then race and racial injustice and oppression is a common narrative everywhere, right? So, so that's really the spirit of it is just to not just race through our life and our work business as usual and really just kind of, you know, take a moment to pause and honor that there are challenges that are sometimes bigger than this, this wonderful conversation that we're going to have here today. And, and for me as an independent filmmaker and a storyteller and an activist and someone who's been doing this work for a long time, I didn't just start thinking about these issues this year. I've been in these communities working hard and navigating these difficult waters for a long, long time. And this is, we have to, you know, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and so I think 2020 really highlighted that for so many people everywhere. And then with respect to Gifted and my film, The G Word, which we're here to talk about here today, is this idea of equity and diversity and inclusion, which are these kind of three major tent poles of what the movie is about. And so it always just felt really fitting for me to kind of overlay any conversation that has to do with the movie or with giftedness with this sort of urgency. Thank you. And as I said, I heard this during your webinars and I thought we're going to be instant friends because <laughs> from my side anyways, because I could relate. And I thought that was really great that you started your webinars with this. And as you said, it's really global and it has swapped over all over Europe and 
yeah, we just need to take this time to really reflect before we go into the new year and how we're going to move forward. So, but now that you're here, tell us in your own words, who are you and why did you end up making a movie about giftedness? Of course, my pleasure. So I'm Mark Smolowitz, and I'm an independent filmmaker based in San Francisco. I've been in the film business for 30 years, so I'm not new at this. I've made lots of movies about lots of issues and lots of topics. But I have a background as an activist and someone who has really kind of bridged my activism with my storytelling. And so if you look at this sort of uh, portfolio of all the films I've been involved in over the arc of my career, there's a lot of big issue movies. I've tackled a lot of traumatic subject matter and I'm very proud of that. You know, it takes a lot of fearlessness to take on difficult subjects. And, and with each new project, I learn a ton. I do a very, very deep, deep, deep dive into the subjects, the stories, the communities, the stakeholders, everybody. And I'm a real believer in going that deep and how important that is. You know, I, I don't think you can just sort of show up with a curiosity and say, I'm making a movie. I think you show up with curiosity and then you really walk the walk with the communities and the, that care and have been doing the good work for a long time. So that's been my approach across the board, whether the film has been about poverty or PTSD or LGBTQ plus civil rights or HIV and AIDS. I mean, you name it. And I've done the deep work and I'm proud of that. When it came to Gifted, you know, this was one of those things where an email landed in my inbox from an interested colleague who had been sort of involved in these issues and concerns in his own way with his own kids. And he was sort of, you know, kind of sending an email to see if, you know, just to sort of see if it would pique my interest. And long story short, it did pique my interest. <laughs> And the reason why it did pique my interest is because I was one of those gifted kids in the 1970s in public schools. Back in the 70s in the United States, we had pretty robust gifted and talented offerings in public schools. It was a really strong time in the sort of story of gifted and talented education. And I benefited greatly from that. So I was tested. I tested extremely well off the charts. And I was pulled out of my normal classes two days a week to be in classes with other smart kids. And I had a lot of memories about that experience and that it was formative in a lot of ways. I remember taking the SATs when I was in third grade, I think, maybe second grade, and actually doing quite well on them. And it was sort of an experiment. You know, I don't remember exactly why it was being done, except that they basically wanted to see if gifted kids in elementary school could do well on the SATs. And there were some bigger issues in play. And, and, you know, lo and behold, all these years later, I'm making this movie. And I understand that Julian Stanley, who was the scholar that had kind of forged the whole concept of acceleration, was giving the SATs to very smart boys in the 19, late 1960s and early 1970s. So he started that idea of like, you have to test them, meet them where they are at and see if they can perform and that might warrant real acceleration. And there's a lot, a lot going on there that is more complicated than that. Um, that's what's so interesting about, about making a movie about Gifted is that there's no sort of short description of what's all going on beneath the surface. But I was accelerated and I benefited from acceleration. I also benefited from what they call enrichment, meaning that part of what happened in my experience was gifted and talented programming that included both. And then as I was starting to 
research giftedness, I, you know, really understood that there were all these different ways of approaching it, you know, from a talent development perspective. I mean, it's really a whole field, right? And, you know, there's an entire university programs that are devoted to it. There are, uh, they call them the talent development centers. There's some nine or more universities around the United States that are major research schools that have summer programs for advanced learners. And and a lot of this really scaled in the 1970s at the time that I was a young kid. And so it really just, it piqued my interest, you know, that that I had been that kid and that Ron, my producer, was sort of putting this um, in front of me to think about. And it took us a while to kind of get the enterprise up and running. The development of an idea is sometimes the hardest phase, right? What movie are we going to make? And because I have been so interested in social justice and diversity and inclusion, like across my projects and across my films, I was coming at this from that sort of lens. And eventually, it took a couple of years, but I really found the movie that I wanted us to make, the one that I felt could really be additive, right? The one that I felt could actually provide some new perspective and some useful contribution to the field. So the other piece of the puzzle that is really important is that when I start to look and see, is this a good subject matter for me to be working on? I also look and see if there's anything else out there that has ever been made. And guess what? There hasn't, right? So I saw an immediately an opportunity to be the filmmaker who could take on this project that would be kind of singular and interesting and and maybe fill a void where there hadn't been a movie before. And so that that always excites me. Like if we can do something signature here at my company, whether I'm directing or producing or both, that's going to light a fire under my interest. And it early on became very quickly apparent that there's so much stigma and so much misunderstanding and so many stereotypes around giftedness and that I had to be kind of coming at this from a really nuanced sort of point of view. Those who are inside what we call the sort of traditional gifted communities were rightly very uh, suspicious, you know, of like, what's this movie going to be about? And are you just going to reinforce stereotypes? And so I made an early commitment to sort of say, okay, we have to walk the walk, like I was describing a few minutes ago. If I can show communities and stakeholders that we're not just showing up to kind of steal people's stories and present them the way that we want to with some other kind of agenda that would be about harming people, we would eventually demonstrate to key folks that we are doing this the right way. That said, it's not a marketing endeavor, right? No one has hired me to make a PR film about why gifted is important, right? This is going to be a nuanced independent documentary that will not, will not sort of steer clear of controversy, right? So, and the controversies around giftedness, they do come from lots of different points on the map. And so, you know, pretty confident that the way we're tackling this will be the kind of offering that really keeps more people in the room than less. So we've been working on this so, so long that I feel confident of that, right? We're going to, you know, I wanted to make a movie that people felt like was their movie, regardless of where they came from, because the stories were so strong and the characters were so compelling and really find a point of entry for themselves. And regardless of the demographic that they are, just to sort of understand that this is a strong movie about education. This is a strong movie about intelligence. This is a strong movie about all these things that everyone is sort of implicated in at the end of the day, because education is one of the most important social contracts in the United States. Wow. And when you went into this project, I don't know if I heard correctly a little bit between the lines when watching the webinars, but is it true? Did you think about giftedness more of kind of a 
from the highly gifted, the profoundly gifted, but then also got into the topic more also, you know, the 2E, the twice exceptional, and then you saw all what's underlying, all the trauma and all the stigma and everything that comes with that, right? I think that also gave you then a different perspective, more of a boost. And I really like also to mention it here, the this, you call it the subtitle or who gets to be gifted in America and why, right? That's really what the movie is going to be about. Exactly. So we eventually landed on this kind of driving question, right? That was going to be the center of the movie, um, which was extremely helpful. Like when we landed there, it, it made everything else possible from a storytelling perspective. Because when you know what question you're asking, you can sort of have a roadmap for how you want to approach answering it. And we had the beautiful opportunity of answering it any way we wanted to. And to kind of zoom out on this idea of highly gifted versus profoundly gifted, those concepts were early introduced by important experts to me. And I understood that sort of the IQ was the benchmark for a lot of that kind of research and discussion. And that, you know, there's the median IQ and it's around 100. And then there's the deviations sort of in either direction that move you either towards special ed or gifted ed, right? And so I could kind of wrap my mind around that visually. And what I then learned was that for all kinds of reasons, the special ed side of the conversation, in, at least in the United States, was really driven by activists, families who were empowered to advocate for their kids who were challenged to make sure that there was what they call fair and appropriate education opportunities in public schools in the United States. So fair and appropriate, right? And for some kind of reason, reasons that are complex and that are nuanced that we do explore in the movie, the gifted kids who, are, who deviate in the other direction, they don't get the same consideration, okay? And that has to do with this whole idea of that, in, at least in the United States, we focus on deficits, we focus on fixing people. And it seems so obvious, right, that if you, if, you know, kids over on the special ed side, the farther you go, need more and more support, that maybe, just maybe, the further you went up the IQ scale, you would also encounter children who would need support. And I actually don't like the idea of up and down IQ. I like it more like a like sort of as a horizontal line as opposed to a vertical one. But that's the sort of baked in problem with IQ. It is an up down metaphor. Up is smart. Smart is good. Down is bad. And down is dumb. Right. And so so much of how we think about the brain and how we think about intelligence and how we think about everything has to do with the limitations of language, which are really about these kind of binary assumptions, right? Good and bad, smart and dumb, you know, on and on and on. And I, you know, what was interesting was that my first experience with giftedness was through my producer, Ron, at least giftedness in the sense that this movie is exploring. And his two kids had been identified as, as PG or profoundly gifted. And they had had, you know, their own sort of social, emotional and behavioral, you know, sort of ups and downs in elementary school. And so they landed in a private school mm -hmm. and they were getting their needs better met there. And it was a joy for them to be in that kind of supportive environment. And then through that process, they found these things called the profoundly gifted retreats. And so Ron arranged for me to go to one of those retreats and meet with those families and kind of get a sort of a a sense of who they were and what their issues are and kind of how they were supporting each other in that community. 
And um, it was a really interesting few days. It was in 2015. It was early on in the project and sort of figuring out what project are we doing. And what I encountered was a lot of mistrust, a lot of like sense of protection because it's their kids, you know, and many of their kids had been bullied. Many of their kids were dealing with big, big sort of social emotional challenges that sometimes manifest in very dark ways. And so while I was interested in that part of the story, it struck me that this is fascinating. And and most of these families are affluent. Like you don't go to this retreat because you're living paycheck to paycheck. You go to this retreat in beautiful in Colorado with other families because you can afford it, right? And that's, that, that is what it is. And I just kept landing on this sort of internal kind of conundrum, like interesting that all these families with so many resources still have kids that are so, so struggling, right? And so what that shows me is, at least instinctively, that money isn't the only thing that fixes this, right? And so what made me curious as a next question is, well, what happens to kids when you take out the money, right? When you remove the resources and you go into a school district that is poor, where kids are, you know, non-white, maybe don't speak English, maybe are immigrants, you know, on and on and on and on, right? And so that began my journey of inquiring along that path, talking to people in education who were in the, you know, who were principals in poor zip codes and asking them about giftedness. And it became clear that it wasn't on their radar because they were too busy dealing with other social challenges, you know, like how to keep kids out of gangs and off drugs. Right. And so it just, you know, I landed over time on this equity question. Okay. So who are we missing? If we're not discovering black and brown kids in the United States who are likely as innately intelligent as any of their white counterparts or their affluent counterparts, then think of the societal loss. And so when I started to pose it in my own mind and with others that as an urgent inquiry, like if we actually discovered and and encouraged the gifts of black and brown and poor kids, maybe the 21st century could be a more inclusive one with economic vitality for many more people and in turn, much more economic vitality for this country, which is always struggling with, you know, with sort of a more kind of inclusive economy, right? So, so then that started to make sense. And then kind of concurrent to that is when I discovered twice exceptionality. So I had never heard about it. I had been curious about this sort of the profoundly gifted child who was exhibiting other kinds of behaviors that were making it hard for them to function in sort of traditional learning environments. And that was when I got introduced to people who were really, at least in my region, kind of the um, engine of the 2E movement here and found a story that I fell in love with. And really through that story, really did a deeper dive into the bigger conversations around neurodiversity and intelligence and then the movie just sort of scaled from there. So so neurodiversity is actually kind of the backbone of the movie. As much as race and gender and class and sex and zip code are kind of these inquisitive points of inquiry, because I care about those kinds of inquiry, neurodiversity is sort of the backdrop. It's really where I think we are as a culture and as a country is sort of how do we serve this very large and diverse category of neurodiverse thinkers and how to get them into schools and learning environments where they can actually thrive and become these sort of contributing and vital parts of civil society. And 
there has always been, I mean, it's interesting because there's always been this kind of stereotype of the sort of the savant who's also autistic, right? And I think it's what we've uncovered while making this movie is that it's a little more nuanced than that. And it's because the sort of Asperger's or autism spectrum disorder or ADHD or all, these are all sort of qualities or diagnoses that these students are facing in their experience. And it just never, I think the reason why neurodiversity and neurodiverse started to stick as a concept is because there are so many qualities and behaviors and sort of syndromes and and diagnoses that actually constitute it, right? So it needed a broader category. And then these other, these special learners, you know, I became very interested in 2E learners because of the idea that in many school districts, if they were not trained to notice or understand these 2E learners, that those children were being incorrectly placed in special ed and were actually being crushed there. So it's like double crushing them. It's just, you know, they they have all this capacity to learn if they only had support. And then you put them in a, in a room where they really don't belong. And so it's not good for them. It's not good for the teacher. It's not good for the other special ed students. But it is interesting to think about like special ed and gifted ed is kind of one community. I think, you know, for, for a lot of the 20th century, special ed and gifted ed were kind of adversaries. They were sort of fighting for money and gifted was typically the loser and special ed was the winner because again, we fix problems. We fix people who are dumb. I hate that word, but it makes my point. And so what we've seen with neurodiversity is that we have more of a coming together of these different sides of the conversation where they're sometimes in the same room now talking about the same child. Right. And so that is a wonderful opportunity because it gets people at the same table to actually try and solve some problems for these kids. Wow. So I learned a lot of also about the American school system. And I must say, I grew up here in Switzerland, normal public school. Mm-hmm. I was never identified. And now thinking back and getting into also this new vocabulary, as I told you, I only recently found out I am one of those gifted kids or was a kid and now an adult. And then going through my school report cards, like I talk a lot, I talk too much. And so going over this ADHD, I have self-diagnosed dyslexia. That's why I don't write a blog. That's why I podcast. So yeah, it makes me also question, you know, I think we didn't have any special, any kind of, I don't know any kid that has ever been identified in my grade, or I don't know of any program when I was a kid that there were special treatments for gifted kids. So this conversation, again, is not just an American one. I think we really need to have this across the globe. So that's why I'm really, really, really looking forward to this movie. And I've heard so many bits and pieces of what's going to be in the movie. It it sounds like it could be a whole series. Like how how are you going to fit this all in and and how long is that movie going to be? Well, that's a very good question. So, the movie I believe will be around 90 to 100 minutes. So, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make you sit through a 3-hour movie. I think that's not that's not fair nor is it appropriate. 
you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not so arrogant that I need to like, make you suffer for three hours. Um, I think you are onto something that there could be a series and there have been series about kind of gifted genius kids, you know, and those, those shows are what they are. And they're not, they're not all that interesting to me because they just, you know, all they are about sort of the high achieving genius kid, right? Who can answer difficult math problems like that, right? And that's, you know, we, we've seen that. How many times have we seen that, right? How many times does mainstream entertainment need to make that show, right? So, so the question becomes, can we make this independent documentary and maybe then it could scale into something? And that's certainly not off the table, right? I wouldn't mind. But I think what you'll find when you sit down to watch this movie when it's done, and, it, and we're in post-production now, so we're editing the long-form film and we're aiming at kind of early 2022 to start showing it, is seven stories. Seven stories that we have identified that are been sort of curated, if you will, by me as the director, because I fell in love with these stories and they have strong characters and they also help us answer that question, right? Who gets to be gifted in America and why? And they are a mixture of places on the map. So there's some are rural, some are suburban, some are urban. And as a consequence, they help us highlight different issues because of those geographies. It was very important to me that the stories felt kind of familiar and exemplar. Like even if you don't live in that place, it might remind you of where you live or might remind you of someone that you know who lives in a place like that. So the United States of America is a huge country with 50 states and each geography has its own sort of concerns. And what we've come to understand is that gifted is local, right? Sometimes so local that it's down to the school and how much a principal of a school actually buys into it or not. And or how much the superintendent of an actual school district buys into it or not. And sometimes when someone does buy in, very good work is being done. Sometimes when someone doesn't, it can be very, very challenging. So we try to, you know, select stories that would give you a really beautiful snapshot of the state of the state of these issues and stories in this moment in our country. And then that is sort of wrapped around by, I think, what will be upwards of 40 or more experts who will help us challenge these kind of bigger ideas around giftedness and intelligence and neurodiversity. And those experts include people who are very well known and gifted. So as you are, you know, doing your own research and getting to know the landscape, you're going to start to see, see names, right? And many of those names are names in our movies. So people who have, we've been very fortunate to sit down with. And I have some of the older folks who are really doing, like they're sitting down with us in their 70s and 80s, and they're doing what I call legacy interviews because they've been in the field so long, they've actually seen how this has progressed for the last 50 or 60 years with sort of mixing that up with, with younger new voices in the space of gifted people who've joined this movement and who are doing great work now and just getting started and going to be doing great work for many years to come. But then I also decided intentionally to involve kind of folks who are not, you know, kind of squarely in the gifted community, because it, I felt like that some of the bigger issues in play that have to do with equity and inclusion and social justice really called for other kinds of thought leaders to be in the movie. And so we have some other people who I think are not kind of gifted traditional folks in the sense of some of the others, but will add interesting perspectives as well and will surprise people as well. So that's, that's nice. So will there also be stories on adult gifted folks? Yes. Yes. So so I get asked this a lot, right? So is the movie focused only on gifted children? And I think what the movie is doing is helping us understand that so much of what happens during childhood has consequence into adulthood. 
So yes, of course, we are thinking about giftedness over the lifespan and how the things that happen to you during those first years in school are so defining and so critically important. And if you're not getting your needs met and you're living the wrong zip code, what happens to you as an adult, right? And so on the one hand, we have a story beat that takes you inside a prison and helps you understand that sometimes very smart people wind up there because of the conditions in where they have been, you know, where the neighborhood they've been born, where they've been grown up, when they've been raised. Smart people reside everywhere and it's environment and the situation that they, you know, where they've grown up that help sort of assign them to a particular trajectory. And oftentimes that is just so heartbreaking and wrong. So I think that this sort of unidentified gifted person in adulthood like yourself, right, who is thinking about their own journey, that person will find comfort in our film and will sort of understand that we are thinking about them because we're thinking about this movie through the lens of trauma and through the lens of empowerment. And if you don't have a language to sort of explain your trauma or explain the difficult and challenging aspects of your life and experience, and you find that in adulthood, whether it's in your 20s or 30s or 40s or whenever, that's a huge moment in one's life to kind of begin your own journey with reconciling who you are. The movie believes in the power of identity. I believe in the power of identity. So we have stories that... I hope will resonate with people of all ages. I have talked to people who are seniors and elders who were part of um, in the 1950s in the United States because of the space race and the rush to go to the moon against the Soviets. That was a period in the United States where we pumped more money into public education than any other time in our history. And gifted programs were actually introduced in number in the 50s to try and address this sort of space race gap, right? Like we can't let the Soviets win, so we have to make sure our kids are smart. And so some of those kids didn't even understand why they were being put in certain schools or certain classrooms. And so we've talked to some of those folks and many of them didn't even realize that they were gifted as well. Right. And I'm less sort of overburdened by like what we call ourselves and these labels, because I think words matter and they also mean different things, to different people. And there are some people who just won't see themselves in the word gifted. And so the idea behind even naming the film, the G word is to hopefully show people that they might be able to see themselves and others in this sort of unexpected container of stories. So, so yeah, gifted adults are in the movie. I hope in a way that is interesting and sometimes actually, sometimes actually expressed in the stories of these other story experts that I've told you about who are not necessarily in gifted, right? And they're just incredibly gifted people in their own right. And so their lived experience, their story as it's shared in our film will help other people who are adults and gifted see themselves. Awesome. I I can't wait. Like 2022 needs to come quickly. (laughs) So, but the movie, the G word, it's not just a movie, right? What you're doing is not just a movie. It's a whole thing that you're doing. Do you want to say a little bit about that and also touch on the manifesto and who is invited to join? Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah. So I am not inside sort of the traditional Hollywood system. And in some ways, that's kind of like by design. And in some ways, it's sort of not. But 
And I do dip my toe in that world and definitely have, you know, I, can, I know how to like pick up the phone and call those area codes and, and know how to work, move my, move and shake myself down there in Los Angeles when I need to. But I, I'm in San Francisco, so I'm making movies outside of the traditional Hollywood system. Part of why I do that is because I have a personal mantra around why I make movies. And there's a double bottom line here at my film company. So they both begin with the letter I, okay? And the first one is income, because if I don't make enough money to keep the company going, then I can't make movies, right? So that's, so money is pivotal. But the other I is impact, okay? So income and impact. And the impact piece is really the one that, is the one that gets me excited every day to wake up and do my job. You know, can we use these movies, this kind of storytelling to change hearts and minds about powerful and important issues that are impacting people's everyday lives? So I'm interested in not just making the movie, but creating the enterprise around the movie. And sometimes we call that impact producing or creating an impact campaign around the film. And that is typically what I do with every movie or at least every documentary, because documentaries lend themselves to creating public discussion about important issues. And you know, this one is all over that kind of opportunity, right? Because there's so many amazing people having so many different kinds of discussions everywhere. You know, the G word may, for example, in Europe, where you live, help support different kinds of conversations that need to happen in Europe to kind of get giftedness up and running in a new way in the 21st century that maybe you feel it isn't. We hear that a lot from our European counterparts, right? So, so SANG, which is a very established organization in the United States, which focuses on the social emotional needs of the gifted at all ages, from children through adults, now has a SANG Europe because the European professionals started coming to the same conference in the US and learning about the social emotional model and wanted to help bring that over to Europe. So our movie can partner, right, with folks to kind of help. It can be a convening opportunity. You can show the movie and you can empower local communities everywhere to set the agenda, like what's most important where you live and work. And I think that that is what's so interesting about education and certainly giftedness within education is that everywhere you go, the story is a little different from everywhere else. And that's also how you'll kind of encounter our movie. But I also think that no one movie can be all things to all people. So it's the impact enterprise that supports the movie that will help take it off the screen and into communities to do good work that supports organizations and people on the ground who've already been doing the great work for years. So people in gifted advocacy, whether it's in a legislative sense for policy and creating new opportunities, you know, legislatively, or people who are working directly in funding or people who are working directly in services and providing support are all going to be able to, I think, use our movie in different ways. And so our job, I hope, is to create initiatives that can help support those impulses. So we wrote an impact manifesto, which you mentioned a few minutes ago. It's available on our website and it's a really important read. If so, people who are go to the gwordfilm.com can actually see it. And it's just a roadmap. It's us making a public statement of our values and our priorities and the things we're going to do over the next one to three years to try and have an impact with this movie, right? So for me, it's not interesting to just show the movie. There has to be some kind of call to action. It has to be some something that we want people to do once they've seen the movie. And especially because if the movie is good, and I'm kind of hoping that it will be, I'm thinking that it might be, then people will want to do something, right? And they'll be asking the question, what do we do next? Because we'll be showing them all these challenges, all these possible ways to address those challenges in different places and settings. 
And so that's the natural impulse, right? The audience want to then go do something. They want to post on social media. They want to write a letter to their congressperson. They want to do things in their communities, talk to their principal, talk to their teachers, talk to their council people, talk to, you know, it's movies provide that platform. There's sort of, it's really baked into the movie experience is wanting to do something when you've been inspired, right? So we don't want to just kind of, we don't want that energy to peter out. We want to provide a pathway for people to do things. So that's the plan. So it's not, I'm not just going to finish the movie and like let it roll out without more creativity and and initiatives. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff that we hope will, people will get excited to dig into. And so you welcome everybody to read the manifesto and who, who is invited to sign this? Is that for everybody that's inspired? Everyone who's inspired can sign it. So we're looking for endorsements on it. And there's a form on our website where individuals can sign the manifesto because it excites them and they like it or organizations. And I, and organizations, I mean that quite broadly. So I know sometimes people are a single person and they have a business, right? That person's an organization. And then I'm scaling all the way up to larger organizations in education that are either for-profit or non-profit. So the whole range. And the other thing that we're taking are feedback and comments and input. So this is a living, breathing document that is meant to invite your input because we are learning all the time, right? We launched it in October and we've already gotten some really interesting feedback this fall about ability cohorts, which I'm going to figure out a way to add that as a new bullet point into the manifesto next quarter. So each quarter we'll update it from the feedback that we get from communities. And the whole idea of ability cohorts is about putting people in classrooms or cohorts based on their ability, not on their age or not on their demographics. And I think it's a wonderful way to think about pushing learning in new directions in this century. So, So, and obviously you doing fundraising and you have a webinar series and you have six short films. So I'm just going to put everything in the show notes and I want people to go and have a look and donate to the movie to make this a reality because this is amazing. And you also mentioned... There's so much I want to discuss and talk about, but the hour is almost up. But you also have a hashtag, the future is gifted, if people want to get involved, right? So on social media, use the hashtag, the future is gifted. Excellent. And so now that we're wrapping up a little bit, what what is your ultimate dream for this movie? Like, what would be like your ideal outcome when this movie is dropping 2022? Well, I want to premiere at top tier festivals first and foremost, because that will be the thing that helps it find an audience. Okay. And so here at my company, we're a boutique film company and I wear a lot of hats and we work at every stage of the filmmaking process. So in addition to directing and producing my own films, I produce films for other filmmakers. And when we produce, we also handle sometimes the sales and distribution and festival journey for those films. And so we've shown movies that I've been involved in over the years at more than 250 festivals on five continents. I've shown movies at festivals in Switzerland, where you live, of course, and all over Europe, all over Latin America, all over North America, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, you know, the world is my oyster. If, if you know, and, and good movies are relevant to global audiences. So 
And I, I hope this one will be. I think this is a very American film in the sense that we're focusing on the American stories and the American education system. And, and so it will have a certain kind of urgency and importance, I think, for American audiences. So we'll hopefully do very well at U.S. festivals. But I'm also making a film that is beautifully cinematic, very poetic, has a beautiful sense of immersive place with strong characters. So I'm hopeful that we'll, you know, have a nice shelf life outside of United States. And that's always, you know, how I hope, you know, this journey unfolds. And then we'll see what the festival success allows us to do in distribution. But that can oftentimes be the thing that then opens the doors that allows us to sell it to big distributors or streaming services or other VOD or other cable or other satellite, you know, on and on and on and on. And but even, you know, not what I hope the G word is wildly successful and maybe on Netflix, maybe on Hulu, who knows what, fingers and toes crossed. It's going to be a beautiful movie and I want it to have a very large distribution. But even if it does or when it does, I want us to have this impact strategy. Okay. And I wanted to have this community based strategy where it's really doing that important work that I described a few minutes ago, because I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think the movie can be a commercial success by documentary standards and also meet the communities where they are to help them use the movie in important ways. So, so that would be my big dream with those two things can happen for it, where over here on the commercial side of independent documentary, it's really often running and it's finding its wings and has a nice, beautiful distribution and sales life. And then over here on the community side, it really connects with people and helps them because we are the movie and I'll leave you with this as we end. Okay. We are the movie and we hear from everybody. Okay, that's sort of the, the interesting benefit of being the movie, right? We're the movie, the documentary about gifted. So we hear from everybody. You know, I, I, the way I say it's from, from Switzerland to Singapore, from Tokyo to Tahiti. I mean, we're hearing from people. And people are struggling everywhere in their own powerful ways. I hear from parents who are just at their wits end. I hear from gifted adults who are dealing with all kinds of trauma and I want to be of service. I want this movie to be of service to people everywhere. So when they see it, they can sit down and have a tool in the toolkit that is the sort of the power of story to help them make sense of their experience. And I think if anything, what we'll learn about giftedness out of the G word is that it really doesn't look, smell, sound, behave, taste like you think it does. And more people than less, I hope, will see themselves in it and or their kids or whatever, right? And maybe help us make sense of each other a little bit, so. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to add, share, or is there anything you wish you knew earlier or something that you think, you know, people really need to know? I think the thing that people really need to know about this is that they need to be open to it, okay? So if you know someone out there is listening and they're not sure that a gifted movie would be for them or about them or reflect them because they haven't been tested or they haven't been identified or they don't think they're especially smart or any of that, I think that the whole idea of who is smart is a deeply and heavily constructed idea um, forces in civil society that are so outside of our sphere of influence. And our main sphere of influence is ourselves, right? And that is the thing that I want people to take away from this movie is that your sense of self is everything, right? Self-esteem, self-worth, self-efficacy, self-empowerment. Those different parts of the self, only when those are working and are intact, can you see yourself on a trajectory of potential and success. 
Now, some people don't like when I emphasize the word success, but I want everyone to be able to have success on whatever terms that is for them. However you define it, you should be able to have that, regardless of who you are, where you're from, and the opportunities and access that you've been provided. And hopefully this movie can highlight who do we value and why. And maybe some people will start to see some value in themselves that they haven't seen before. This is why I decided to include the story inside the prison, because when we go inside the prison, we introduce you to men who are never getting out. Okay. They're never going to get out of prison. They're all committed crimes that they're either, you know, they're going to be there for life. Okay. There's no parole. And even so we profile a group of men who are pursuing self-improvement through a program that helps them get on a trajectory of potential and success just for the life that they have to live inside. And given the trauma that they face being incarcerated and the background that got them there, and they can still go to these programs and try to better themselves or understand that they, they have a reason to do that. If they can do that inside prison, anyone should and could be able to do it outside of prison. So, so that's, that's what I'll leave you with today. Wow. Where can people find you? So the movie has a website, thegwordfilm.com. We're on social media, so active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If people want to connect with me, I'm at Mark Smolowitz, and I'm easy to find, and I'm typically a responder. So you can find my my film company is called 13 Gen. You can email me, you can write me, you can inquire as you want about the film or otherwise. And I'm also on LinkedIn, so people can look for me there and they can connect with me there. So I'm happy to hear from people all over the world and people who are excited about all these topics. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for making this movie. It's much needed. And thank you so much. My pleasure. It was so nice talking to you and have a wonderful evening and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have talking to Mark. This was really a true pleasure. And I'm so humbled. And thank you again, Mark, for coming onto this show and sharing all of your knowledge and sharing all your passion. And we can't wait for this movie to come out. And now we're going to use 2021 to really create awareness around this movie and make this a success because this is so needed. This is such an amazing project. And I'm going to list all the links that Mark has mentioned into the show notes. So you can go and check out the website, donate, get involved, use the hashtags. So yes, let's just make this movie the biggest drop ever. And let's promote this and share and get into the conversation. Because this is so, so, so needed. And not just in America, really across the globe. This conversation about diversity, inclusion, equity, who gets to be gifted, who gets to get access to good education, that's really such an important topic. So thank you again. And I'm going to let you go now. Enjoy your holidays. I know Christmas has somehow been canceled this year. But we're going to stay positive. We're going to look forward into the new year. And we're going to stay strong. We can make this. I'm going to see you on the other side of 2021. It can only get better. So have a wonderful time and see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.